following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Hello. Well, we are... Um There's something I want to say, but I forgot. I'll think of it later, I think. Well, we're returning to our new study in the book of Colossians. And we're going to look at the first eight verses of chapter one. um, Page 983 in the Pew Bibles. Um, So let's let's pray and then we'll, we'll jump right in. Father, we are so grateful that uh, we are yours and that you have uh, adopted us as your children by faith in Jesus Christ and that you're so much bigger than all our problems and your grace is so much greater than all our sin. We pray, Father, that now as we turn uh, to your word that uh, you speak to us through it. We know there's your words, uh, but we need your help to understand um, what you want us to understand. And so we submit to you and we turn to your word and uh, we are grateful for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, it was a privilege to have a conversation with someone this week, sit down on the bleachers uh, and share the gospel with them. And we had a conversation about the Bible say this is um, this is what the Bible says about XYZ whatever it was and they said well that's you know that's fine for you that's you know that's true for you I said no it's true whether I believe it or not it's true whether you believe it or not the Bible has authority it's a good word he said it and we believe it because he said it not not the other way around. Um, and that uh, really kind of brought that thought to mind. There's uh, plenty of people in this world. You want to be a Christian, you want to claim Jesus, whatever, that's fine. That's fine. Don't press it on me, but it's fine for you. Go ahead. And the truth of the matter is that the truth is what's under attack when people say that. You can believe that if you want. I don't. But you can. It's the truth, whether we believe it or not. All right? And so I've, I've had the privilege of having conversations with people before, and they ask about hard issues. What does the Bible really say about homosexuality? What does the Bible really say about, uh, you know, this or that? These difficult issues that were kind of like, well, I don't really want to offend anybody, but does it matter? Say, look, what I believe, or what I think, my opinion on these matters is irrelevant. Here's what the Bible says. Okay? This is what the Bible says about homosexuality, and I can stand on that. What I think about, what I believe, not what I believe, but how I feel about that doesn't matter. This is what God's Word says, and that's where we stand. That's what we have to stand on. Uh, and so when you think about having those difficult conversations and people asking difficult questions, we can say, Here's what the Bible says, and I stand on that. How I feel about what it says is irrelevant. This is what it says, and it's the truth. Okay. 
And I just, that was kind of a special moment um, this week. And um, I'm grateful for God's grace that uh, allows even me to share the truth of his word. Um, so again, we're going, to, um, we're going to look at Colossians here. Uh, and as we start our study of this letter, we're just barely getting started here. Um, uh, this letter from the Apostle Paul, it says right in the beginning, um, is to the church in Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. Uh, you've heard of that before. It's not Thanksgiving dinner, but it's a country. Um, uh, and if Paul did not plant this church, this important to know, Paul did not plant this church. He'd never been there before, never met these people. Um, he hadn't ever visited the church. Um, but he did feel it was important to write to this group of believers in this small city in the Roman province of Asia to instruct and encourage them. We were talking even this morning um, about my church and your church. Uh, and here again is proof there is only one. Paul didn't claim any of the churches that he planted that is his. They're not. They belong to Christ. We belong to Jesus Christ. Uh, so uh, he was in Rome writing um, and writing to the believers in a small city of Colossae. And as we read this text this morning, I think that you'll see that there are some of the most important words in the Christian's dictionary are here in these uh, short verses that we're going to look at today. So let's, let's start there, Colossians chapter 1, in verse 1, page 983. Paul, see if you can tell who wrote the letter. He used his name first. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all his saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in his spirit. That's as far as we're going to go. I don't even think we're going to make it that far. I think if you were to condense the entire message of the letter to the church at Colossae to one word, that one word would be reality. Reality. Things as they really are. And I say that because the truth of how things really are is at the base of everything that Paul says here in this short letter. And this truth is still necessary for us to grab hold of even this morning. Um, so let's, uh, we're going to look at verse 2 and start to grapple with this truth. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. To the saints... Who's that? Is Paul writing to a bunch of dead Catholics who had miracles performed in their name? 
After they died? No. That's not in the Bible. You won't find it. To the saints, which Paul writing to maybe the perfect people who never sin, right? Who glow in the dark and walk on water. That's, that's who he meant? That's everybody over here? Sorry, guys. No. Maybe he was writing to the football team from New Orleans that Patriots are going to play later this afternoon. A small S? No. Maybe to some of them, but probably not all of them. Who are the saints? What does it mean to be a saint? Set apart God's holy people. Some translations say God's holy people, which is actually closer and less confusing, but it doesn't really clear it up. A saint is simply a person who belongs to God through faith in Jesus Christ. I know I've said this before, but if you belong to God through through if you belong to God the Father through faith in the Son Jesus, you are a saint. You know, and sometimes we borrow vernacular, right? Yeah, you're not fooling anybody. Okay, <laughs> that grin. All right. Sometimes we borrow from vernacular when we try to share the gospel with people, and we say, "Look, we're not perfect. Hey, we're not. I'm not saints." I make mistakes. That's not true. Through faith in Jesus Christ, I'm a saint. Uh, people have different definition, right? Then that's why it's important to get at the reality here. Where he says to the saints, I don't want you to feel left out. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, this letter is written to you just as well as it was to them. Okay. Well, three words. We've made it. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Faithful brothers, the saints, we know who they are, and the faithful brothers. Well, what about the ladies? This is just to the guys. So, ladies, you can punch out for the next year and a half as we work through this letter at this pace. Well, good news again. I know I've talked about this before, and I don't want to beat a dead horse. But the word, uh, the Greek word that Paul uses here that's translated brothers means both male and female siblings, brethren and sisterin. Thank you. I think that it's, uh, this is, again, a very important that our culture has lost, lost out on. When you go back and read Genesis, when God created man, he created them both male and female. Man is not just one of them. It's both of them, male and female. And mankind, that expression, belongs just as much to the female as to the male. But we don't like it because it says man, and that means men. That's not true. It means humanity. It means both men and women. So for whatever reason, uh, the, the Greek word adelphoi is plural and masculine. It's just like it is masculine in English, right? But it's not. it means both. And I think that we should grab hold of that and not be offended about saying mankind, saying chairman of the board, not chairwoman or chairperson. Who cares for crying out loud? And I say that because I'm a man and I don't have feelings. But... Anyway, the term mankind belongs to both male and female, just as the word brothers here 
belongs to both male and female saints within a church. So the, the saints and the faithful siblings were not two different groups, but two different expressions that covered the one group of believers in Jesus Christ that to be more expedient we refer to as the church. This is shorter. The church. So, to the church, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Again, I think I mentioned this last week that Paul refers to our Father. Our Father. He's identifying the church in Colossae to be part of the real church, the whole church. Fellow children of God. They weren't second-class citizens because they weren't one of Paul's churches. Um, and they, weren't, uh, they weren't lesser than, than Ephesus or, or any of the other churches because Paul had been there. <coughs> well, that's all just kind of trivia. It's this next phrase I really want to focus on and drill down on. Verse 3 and 4. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. I guess that's verses 3, 6, not just 4. Now, as we look at this uh, section here, which is all one sentence in Greek, we can easily miss, on some, miss some powerful truth. So, uh, I'll ask you, do you want to keep it simple and, and, and get it wrong or go complicated and get it right? Well, you don't have a choice. I was just kidding. <laughs> we're we're going to get complicated and we're going to get it right because it's important. Verse 3 says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now, as I think about this, I think that it's easy to pray for Crossroad Church. It's easy because you are wonderful. Um, Crossroad Church is an awesome family, like no church family I've ever seen or witnessed personally before. But Paul and those with him were thanking God for a church far removed from them and people they didn't know. They were remembering and thanking God for a church far removed from them in their prayers. And this is good practice for us, I think. Paul and Timothy were not personally acquainted with the members of that church family, but were thankful for them and their faith in Jesus Christ. I, we, I get so focused on what's right here, I don't think about what's going on out there. You think about how many congregations are gathered at just this very moment. This is in our time zone, right? In another hour, all the churches that meet at 9.37, oh, they've already started, right? And then another hour, all those 9.37 churches are going to begin. All day long, all around the globe. We're not the only ones. I think that's really important for us to think about. In our culture that's so self-centered, I say our culture, which we are part of, in case you were wondering, are so self-centered, all we think about is what's going on right around us, what's happened to us. This practice helps us look beyond that and say, we are not the only one. We are not the only church family. We're not the only people that have struggles. We're not the only people that have accepted Christ. We're not the only people that are trying to do what we're trying to do here. We can be thankful that there are people all over the globe 
this morning, even dentists, that are worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyway, I have a funny story about that, but I won't tell it from up here. <clears throat> anyway. In the next phrase, the next verse, uh, we see three words that Paul often connects in his letters. Um, very popular. Faith, hope, and love. I even have signs nailed up on the wall at our house that say, Faith, hope, and love. And this is an echo of what Paul had written in one of his first letters, the first letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. He says, We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe the one you know better is from 1 Corinthians 13, 13, where Paul says, Now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Paul wrote those letters before, so he's quoting himself here uh, and working on these ideas. But where do faith, hope, and love come from? Well, they come from the gospel. You don't get faith, hope, and love without Jesus. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you heard, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. That's where they heard about those things from. Faith, hope, and love are only truly possible through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only. Now, there's some nice people in this world that don't know Jesus, but they also don't know what real love is. And people don't know what real faith is. They say, just have faith. Well, have faith in what? No, just have faith. Everything will be okay. You know, that's the opposite expression of what I grew up with. And why bother worrying? Nothing's going to be all right. Still funny. And without the gospel, without Jesus, people don't understand what love is either. Not real love. Without the gospel, none of these things are possible. The word gospel means what? Good news. I don't know why it's only half translated, but it means good news. The good news is what? That Jesus has permanently dealt with our sin problem. Our sin kept us separated from good, but Jesus Christ, God's only Son, through His death and resurrection, took the penalty of our sin upon Himself. And by trusting in Him, our sin is transferred to Him, and His righteousness is transferred to us. That's the gospel. You wonder what to tell your friends that don't know Jesus? There you go. It's very simple. Hard to say sometimes, but simple, really. That trust, what Paul refers to here in verse 4 as your faith in Jesus Christ, is where, it's all, where it all begins. We have to have faith in Jesus Christ. We have to believe the good news and trust in a Savior. That's what faith is. It's not some random and ill-defined or undefined good feeling that things are going to be okay. They're not. All right? When Jesus comes back, things will be okay. All right? For believers. 
If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, okay is not the word. It's not good. Without faith, we don't have hope. And without hope, we don't have love. At least not real love. Paul says, We heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love that you have for all his saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now, if we look closely at this phrase here in verses 4 and 5, we can find a cure to the world's ills and maybe even our own. See, the world wants to start with love. But the world's definition of love and the Bible's definition of love, God's definition of love, are very different. This is important to understand. We may use the same word, but it's out of a different dictionary. When the world uses the word love, what they mean is affection, feelings, good feelings. It's a feeling based on circumstances. This is hearts and flowers, and they sell it in February, and you can buy it at Walmart, right, with Valentine's Day. Make sure everyone knows you love them by buying them chocolate, making them fatter. It's great. Yeah, that was supposed to be funny, but it was really kind of rude, so I'm sorry. <laughs> when the Bible uses the word love, as I've explained this before, it's a mindful choice to prefer someone or something before yourself. And it's not based on how you feel. To exercise true love, generally speaking, is to act opposite of how you feel. Because when we truly love someone, when we're angry at them, we can still love them. We don't love them any less. We can still prefer them above ourselves, put their needs before our own, right? If it's just based on how we feel about them, when we feel bad about them, we have permission to treat them badly, right? No. That's not love. That may be what the world wants you to think, but that's not what the Bible says. Like Jesus said in John 15:13, and I think Jesus has the right to define love for us. He says, "Greater love has no one than this, as someone laid down his life for his friends." That's love. But this love is only possible if we have faith in Jesus. We cannot love like he loves if we don't know him or if we deny him. This love is much more powerful and effective than the world's selfish definition because it has a much more powerful motivator. It's not motivated by a desire to have good feelings. It's motivated by hope. I love the way this math works out. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, Paul says in verse 4, and of your love that you have for all the saints because of the hope you have laid up for you in heaven. I like this. The church at Colossae had love for all the saints, all those who belong to Jesus Christ because of their hope. You ever think about that? Is your love motivated by the hope that you have? Hmm. Now this, um, this is something I want to make really clear because as gifted and talented and intelligent as our brothers and sisters, the translators were, I think they got this phrase messed up. It's also entirely possible that they are more gifted, more talented, and more intelligent than I am, and I have it totally messed up. But this phrase, the hope laid up for you in heaven, what do you hear there? That our hope comes after death. Like the only hope we have is after we're dead. 
that kind of makes like the rest of this day kind of bad. <laughs> okay, guys, let's just call it quits. Right? The hope we have is laid up for us in heaven. So, we're all going to wear the sneakers and drink the Kool-Aid. Right? Is that the hope that we have? Is it only after death? I don't think so. When we tell someone the good news that Jesus died for them to forgive their sins so that the Father would adopt them as his own, do we keep all the good parts for that after of the good parts of that for after death? Like Jesus died for you and it's all good, well it's gonna be once you're dead. I don't think that's all that we have to offer. I don't think that's all the off the gospel has to offer. If our only hope is that we go to heaven when we die, what's the point of living after we come to faith? It really kind of loses its kind of loses its uh, strength there, and this is this is a real problem, and this is the this is where the Greek nerd comes out. The term translated "laid up for you" that we see here, as in "put away and reserve for you someday," doesn't really mean that. It's not in the future tense, as in. This, this hope that you have for you in the future it's in the present tense as in the hope that you have now what's laid up for you what's set aside for you now and the words in heaven in Greek is plural not singular so it's not the place where God is now like that's how we think of it that's what heaven is it's in the heavens it's plural. I told you this was going to be complicated. This is not a promise that we've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old. That's not what Paul is talking about. Our present and future hope is that we, through faith in Christ, are part of God's presently existing and established, invisible, spiritual, and permanent kingdom. Our hope is in the present. That we are not just going to be okay when this life is over. It's that we are part of God's kingdom now. That's something different, right? Does it only sound different to me? We are part of God's presently existing and established invisible, spiritual, and permanent kingdom. So living for Jesus is not just about what happens after your life is over. Because when you come to faith in Christ, in truth, your life is over. Now you have a new life. You are a new creature. You are something totally different you are set apart, part of God's family. You are a saint, which is not the same as everybody else in the world. Without faith, without love, without hope. That's not us anymore. And it's the hope that we have is not just laid up away, like your parents used to hide the Christmas presents in the attic waiting for Christmas to come. They're laid up, laid away for that day. That's not it. It's present presence. I, I apologize for puns. Unintentional puns. The benefits of faith in Christ are both already and not yet. Somebody else famous said that, not me. Our benefits are already and not yet. 
Yes, there is a hope for us in God's eternal permanent kingdom when Christ come back or when we die. There is hope for the believer in Jesus Christ beyond this life. But there is hope for believers in Jesus Christ during this life. And I think the truth is, because we don't grab hold of that, it affects the way that we live. Because we're just kind of shuffling through. And not really think about necessarily what God is doing. So the hope that we have is far more than just it'll get good once we're dead. In truth, the hope that we have in Jesus is that real life begins when we trust in Him. We are presently and immediately adopted, presently and immediately citizens of God's eternal kingdom, and we look forward to Christ's return when sin and death and the devil are all permanently dealt with. All right, but that's not our only hope. It's that present hope that motivates us to love. This is how the math works out. People come to faith in Christ through the preaching of the gospel, and that's not just with a pulpit uh, involved. Preaching the gospel, anytime you share the hope that you have in Jesus Christ, is preaching the gospel. It's proclaiming the word, uh, proclaiming the good news to people. And through faith in Jesus, we have the hope, the confident expectation of being adopted as God's child into his present and eternal kingdom. And motivated by that hope, our love increases in activity and extent. Because we know that when we put others first, we're not losing anything. Right? Because what we have is so much more than what this world has to offer. I think that's a beautiful truth. And I think if we really grab hold of that, at least if I really grab hold of that, it will change how I live. Because the love that we have to offer this world is based on our hope, not just based on our feelings. Because we know that whatever we give up in preference to someone else, when we defer to the needs of someone else, we're not giving up anything. Well, we didn't make it as far as I'd hoped, but that's okay. If we gain nothing else, may we remember that we don't only have a hope in the face of death through faith in Jesus. We have hope in the face of life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, um, we trust in your spirit to interpret the word to us um, and make these truths take hold. Uh, I, uh, I feel I've inadequately expressed your word, so I trust your spirit uh, to do the teaching and softening of hearts and uh, so that we receive your message. Uh, Lord, I just I don't want us to get this wrong but to live with hope in a face of the life that you have called us to, that we are part of your family now, that we are new creatures now, that we can live differently now, and we can love in a way the world does not understand now, 
and preach the gospel through that love, motivated by hope that we are part of your eternal kingdom already. And that's only possible when we trust you. So I pray, Lord, that our trust in you would increase, that our hope would increase, and that our love would increase as a result. We'll love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.